You're listening to the Accessibility Corner on Dialogue Radio Network with your host George Zavala. The Accessibility Corner will provide you with topics and resources for our local community of people with disabilities. The Accessibility Corner is brought to you by the law offices of Stephanie Townsend Alala and Associates. So, here we go 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get the party started. Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network. And the show is brought to you by Stephanie Townsend, Ayala and Associates. Today is January, no, I'm sorry, February the 3rd. Oh my lord. And we, our special guest today is John Carillo. We'll be talking to him in a little bit. But first of all, we want to go and play that little call the Accessibility Minute. And this um, this one today is, focuses on uh, like anxiety, stress mechanism. So, Mr. Abel, first of all, good morning, Mr. Abel. Good morning, George. Been an interesting morning again. Yes, we have. We've had a full. I think the whole, the whole Congress uh, candidates were here today this morning. That was pretty neat. Yeah, it was. It was pretty. It was yeah. pretty good. And Mr. Cadillo's here. Good morning, Mr. Mr. Good morning. Cadillo. Thank you for having me. And uh, my wife, of course, she's back here somewhere. The, my wife, aka uh, the Hefe. And so is his wife. Oh, your wife too. Okay. Yes. Yeah, she's here. Peggy. It's Peggy. My better me. half. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're gonna go play that that accessibility uh, minute. We'll come back and talk to Mr. Cadillo and. Hey there, welcome to Accessibility Minute, your weekly look at assistive technology. Those clever tools and devices designed to help people who have difficulties with vision, mobility, hearing, or other special needs. If you are looking for products that assist in relaxation or sensory therapy, check out Grandpa's Garden. Founded in 1993, this company offers all-natural items to support those with autism, anxiety, depression, and more. From aromatherapy to weighted wearables, they offer a myriad of handmade solutions for different needs. Some examples of what they offer include weighted blankets and stuffed animals, aromatherapy products, hot and cold therapy packs, microwavable clothing, and more. Visit Grandpa's Garden to learn more. For more information, to read our blog, or to drop us a line, visit eastersealstech.com. That was your Accessibility Minute for this week. I'm Laura Metcalf with the Data Project at Easter Seals Crossroads in Indiana. Well, thank you, everyone. So, like I said, today we're going to be talking to Mr. John Carillo. He's running for a Congressional District 16, which will be the primaries of March the 6th. Mr. Carillo, good morning, sir. Good morning. Thank you for having me, George. I got to tell you, George, me and John go way back. Don't worry, sir. I won't hold that against he's you. A, okay, he, please he's don't. A, he's a good friend. <laughs> uh, uh, it's great to know that he's running for Congress. And, like you. I said, my discussion with you, Mr. Carillo, he's been very... Um, I, I guess because I don't, I don't see per se the faces, right. so I have to take a lot on the tone of voice. Mm-hmm. And I've said this before. Um, it's just very nice to when you talk to your down to earth. You're not really, thank you. You're not really. I've talked to other politicians on the phone, and they want to put their agenda, and I'm like, you know, let's just talk about <laughs> stuff, you know. But anyway, first, this tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, the background. Very good. I'm a lifelong El Pasoan, with the exception of 10 years that I worked in Washington, D.C. I've been a working professional for, gosh, should I say, over 40 years. And this has included positions in management, 
technology, public relations, school administration, and broadcasting. It also includes 10 years working at the network level with NPR in Washington, D.C. I'd like to mention one of the highlights of my tenure at NPR was receiving the prestigious Peabody Award. There's only been whoa, one. Whoa, whoa, you got the Peabody Award? I do have a Peabody Award. I got goosebumps, really? <laughs> yes. Oh, wow, I know yeah, that. There's cool. only one other person in El Paso, from El Paso, that has ever received one, and that's Sam Donaldson. Yes. Yes. That's why I heard it. Wow, that's so, okay. I was thinking about wearing it around my neck, kind of like the way Flavor Flav yeah. does, but, <laughs> but I, I, think, I thought it might be a little bit much over the top. Mm. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm very proud of that because I believe that it speaks to the level I am accustomed to to working at, which is at a very high level. I'm currently the Director of Development for KTEP, the NPR affiliate here in El Paso, and I'm also a lecturer for the Communication Department. I teach public speaking. As far as my educational background is concerned, I have a bachelor's degree in mass communications and a master's degree in communication studies, both from UTEP. Here's something I'm also very proud of. I was recognized as being the graduate student of the year in 2014, graduating with a perfect 4.0 average. And I honestly believe that it's that combination of education and experience that would allow me to be successful as your next congressman. Yeah. I had a, I had a four, uh, 0.4. I had a reverse. Right. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, NPR is, I like to know NPR, but I, I'm a personal big, huge fan of uh, NPR. I have NPR 1 on my phone. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if you know that show. Um, that It comes on Saturdays. Uh, uh, wait, wait, don't tell wait, me. Wait, wait, don't tell oh, me. Oh, I yes. love that show. Yes. So NPR, and, and that's kind of good because that's kind of, you're used to giving out that information mm-hmm. in NPR, so that's a good thing. Yes, so. absolutely. I've always viewed NPR as actually being the best news source, bar bar none, whether it's radio or TV. They tend to be very unbiased, and they will dedicate the amount of time that any given story necessitates. You take a look at TV, for example. The longest story that they'll run is maybe a minute and a half, two minutes. You know that some of the intricacies of various issues, various stories, can be explained in a minute and a half. It requires much, much longer. And NPR, I must say, does take that initiative to say, if it's going to take a half hour for us to explain this story, that's what we're going to do. And that's one of the things that I really have appreciated at, in NPR, and I feel quite fortunate that I was able to spend 10 years working there. You know, it's, it's true when you say about the time, because... If you give these little time bits to, to, to candidates, you really don't know those. those they, yeah, they'll give you a little synopsis, mm-hmm. maybe like a 30-second synopsis. Right. But if you can sit down and like we're going to do a talk and get it to know your, your, your thoughts, your perceptions, that's where the educated vote comes in. And just to let everyone know, my listeners, I am a regional partner for what's called Rev Up Texas, which is R-E-V-U-P-Texas.org. And um, it's a nonpartisan initiative to the state. And what we're trying to do is educate the voters to have to make their choice because it's not just two people running for Congress. It's right. actually seven. Actually, it's nine because there's two. There's one in, in Dallas and one in Houston. But the point is that's what we want to hear, have you here, sir, talk about. Thank and we you. will we'll talk about accessibility, which is important for people sure. like me. Um, what what is right now your um, your platform, your your main initiative right now when it comes to Congress? 
let me tell you specifically what my platform is because here's the thing if you go to the websites of any of the other democratic candidates they will beat around the bush i can give you my platform concisely okay if you support me i will represent your interests including collaborating with local state and military officials to bring greater economic opportunities to El Paso. I will support legislation that will expand social services to those less fortunate in our community. I will support legislation that will provide for the health care and retirement benefits of all Americans. Now this next plank is what differentiates me from all the other candidates because they're not even talking about this. I will work to safeguard the environment for future generations. Yeah. Global warming is not a hoax. The science is real. Wait a minute. I thought that was fake news. <laughs> I'm sorry. A lot of people <laughs> want to believe that. Trust me. <laughs> Matt, uh, there was a study. Wasn't there? Um, how seen this summer? I think NPR. Uh, 2017 was uh, one of the hottest years on a record. And it was kind of funny. If you look at, uh, at 2016, 15, 14, 13, it's going higher and higher. Absolutely. So, I don't know if it's fake news now. Is it? <laughs> so anyways, well, well, see, you, you talk to Trump, and he 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 confuses he confuses weather patterns with global change, global climate change. And it's two very different things. Global climate change takes the big view over a period of time. We have these weather patterns that change from day to day, and that's what he thinks global warming is. Two very different things. One more thing in terms of my, my platform. I want to go to Washington to educate Capitol Hill on the importance of border issues such as free trade and open immigration. Now, San Antonio is not a border town, is it? Uh, but no. <laughs> I keep hearing that. <laughs> I don't know why they did say they're a border town. But one thing, one passing about uh, uh, the environment, uh, it came on this morning, actually, that there are studies shown, Mr. Carrillo, that the polar bear may fast be extinct because the way the is the uh, Arctic is melting. Yes. That they actually have to use more energy to to mm -hmm. to to punt, and that's that is scary when you really think about the the impact. And that's think about ten more years, twenty more years. Yes. How is how dramatic? Look at the hurricanes we had. Yes, absolutely. And that's something that we we're going to have to live with no matter where you live eventually. Well, yeah. here, here's the thing, George. There are, there are a lot of people that say it's not going to affect me. Okay. I look at myself, and if I'm lucky, I may live another 20 years or so. Well, maybe a little bit longer. I have a 99-year-old mother, so, there you go. so <laughs> I may live longer than that. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to global warming and its effects on our environment— Maybe I might not have to deal with it, but most certainly your children, your children's children are going to have to deal with that. We have to take the steps necessary to get that under control. Ever since Trump became president, there has been a veritable assault on the environmental controls that former President Obama put in. Take, for example, the Clean Power Plan. The Clean Power Plan was a plan that Obama put in through executive order that called for lowering 
the CO2 emissions from existing electric power plants by the year 2050 down from 2005 levels. Okay, it wasn't something drastic. It was something that was going to be worked on little by little. But Trump came along with an executive order and boom, got rid of it. By doing so, he also lifted all moratoriums on coal leasing activities on federal lands. Take another thing that he wrote away. He rescinded the U.S., the waters of the U.S. rule. That rule gave the EPA the authority to regulate pollution into our minor bodies of water, such as streams and ponds. He also did away with the stream protection rule. The stream protection rule prevented miners from dumping coal waste into our streams and waterways. You know, Mr. Cario, and I guess I told my listeners, we were, we were talking some politics, and we'll get to accessibility, but think about uh, his uh, appointment to the EPA, their Environmental Protection Agency. Mm. That gentleman that's appointed at one point fought very against that same agency. Yes. So to me, I'm like, you put someone that fought historically against his, the EPA, and now he's, he, he heads it? I mean, it doesn't make just sense, the logic, does it? right? You know, but I don't know. Maybe sometimes I'm not as smart as him, I guess. But no, it has nothing to do with being smart. It it has to do with being logical. Exactly. And and I believe it's it's Pruitt. I, I think is the, the gentleman's name. This is a guy that that flat out came out and said that he doesn't believe in global warming. Mm-hmm. So we have that person like that who is advising Trump. It could be very well why he pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Let me talk about the the Paris Climate Agreement for for just a moment. When Trump was first elected and and, and came into the presidency back in January, at that time he said, we're going to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement. And it was very interesting because at that time, we became the only major country, or let me backtrack, one of a couple of other major countries that were not a part of it. The other one was Syria, because they're in the middle of a civil war, Mm -hmm. and I believe the other one was Nicaragua. And the reason that they did not become a part of it is because, obviously, Syria is in a civil war in Nicaragua because they thought the goals were not stringent enough. Now, since then to right now, Syria and Nicaragua have both become part of that agreement. Out of 200 countries, the United States is the only one that is not a part of the Paris Climate Agreement. And that tells you a lot there, Mr. Cario. And you know how you said earlier about uh, the president having that uh, systematic approach to or taking away or dismantling what Obama has done regarding the environment. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this too. Now we're going to go a little bit into uh, advocacy or accessibility. Mm-hmm. Then we'll go back to politics. In our, in my opinion, uh, President Bush or President, uh, I call him 45. Number 45 has systematically gone after my population, which is people mm-hmm. with disabilities. Right. And I'll tell you why. Uh, last year, he proposed uh, stripping Medicaid, not Medicare, but Medicaid, 
of 800, $880 billion. Mm-hmm. Medicaid is very essential for persons that have a severe disability where sure. they need that personal care attendance, they need those community-based service, services. And with that being said, uh, are you familiar with what's called the Disability Integration Act? I am. I, I can't say I'm an expert on it, but yes, I am familiar with it. And here's what I think. Here we are in 2018, and we're barely coming up with something like this. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't, I find it appalling, okay? Because to me, when I look at disabled people, okay, I see, I, 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 I have to look past their disabilities. And what has happened, what, what this country has done is marginalized that part of our population. They've been marginalized because of their disabilities, but then they're also being marginalized because they're saying, no, you don't belong out here with the rest of us. You belong in an institution. And, and that's, that's crazy. The, 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 just for my listeners, the Disability Integration Act, what that does, a bill is currently, mm-hmm. um, I don't, it's in the committees, hasn't been introduced yet. But uh, what that basically does, that prohibits state and local governments and insurance companies from uh, uh, discriminatory practices, for example, yes. like uh, 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 if you have a pre-existing uh, uh, medica- condition. Um, condition or uh, actually the, the pay structure right. of how their services are. Plus, what it also will do will enforce the city or the state and government to uh, have, when they do the assessment, to do also include transportation, edu- uh, transportation and, uh, and edu- employment within the community-based services, because that's not what's happening right. now. But what, I, what, you, what you said, Mr. Alcadio, is very true, because people with disabilities, in my opinion, the biggest barrier... Well, let me ask you this. What do you think, and I asked all my guests mm-hmm. this, in your, your uh, um, ideology, what do you think the biggest barriers for persons with disabilities? I have to believe... it. It's a couple of things, and so I, I can't choose any particular one. One of the things that, that I believe in he- heavily, and one of the reasons that I want to go to Washington, is I want to be able to ensure that workers with disabilities have a fair shot at employment opportunities and economic securities. And you know, it's funny you say that because uh, I'll tell you my, 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 what I think is the biggest barrier, but going back on employment... I've been looking for employment for two two years, mm-hmm. and what for me, they see my disabilities, they don't see mm-hmm. my abilities. Exactly. I, I worked at the Department of Labor. I was one time a federal employee. I worked at the Workforce Solutions Borderplex, but when they see me coming in, they only see my my walking stick, mm-hmm. my my white cane. Sure. So my biggest, what I think is the biggest uh, per, uh, uh, barrier is perception, sure. because once they go on beyond that perception. They understand who I am and what I am. For example, uh, as you know, uh, we'll be talking about later, mm-hmm. Access 2018, which yes. you will be participating. Yes. When I meet people, they're like, you're blind. That's their surprise. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's a good thing because that means I'm educating them. I'm, I'm going beyond my perception. And the thing is for me and for many of us, yes. we may have graduated from UTEP or graduated from wherever, sure. but yet they see us and they're like, oh, we can't, they're, li- they're a liability. But see, they don't understand that if you hire me, Guess what? I get off of social services. Mm-hmm. I can contribute to that tax base. I can contribute right. to that local restaurant. 
I, I don't want to be on, on food stamps. I don't want to be on Medicaid. I want to be a productive individual. I want to get off of yes. security. So hopefully what you just said is true. Absolutely. And, and here's, here's the thing. If you look at some of the statistics that are out there, people with disabilities, regardless of how educated they may be or how bright they may be, they tend to be unemployed or underemployed. And it's a travesty. I have a dear friend. That, and in fact, Abel knows him extremely How well. How did you say Abel was... I'm sorry. I'm going to make a comment, but never mind. And I've known this friend of mine for probably over 40 years. He used to be a former former boss of mine on at least a number of occasions. He is now disabled. He lost one of his legs to, to diabetes, and he's also visually impaired. Yet he is still an extremely, extremely bright person. Wants to work, has the will to work. Nobody will give him a shot, and and it's and it's a shame because what I have seen working at UTEP, for example, is that the people that are disabled and working there, they tend to be harder working people than the rest of that working population. And I'll tell you why: because they have this desire, this need to prove themselves. Yes, it's true. And the thing is about when you say with persons with disabilities are, are statistics have shown and studies have shown that we're more of uh, we're more loyal because mm-hmm. we know what it is not to have employment. We know what it is to have that little extra dollar in our pocket. Mm-hmm. So that's my way. Like me, when I was working at the Department of Labor, right, I'll work from six to five in the afternoon, and they would get mad at me. George, you need to go home because uh, we're a union, and uh, if you're not, we have to write you up because. But I loved it. Mm-hmm. And the granted, I lost my vision, so I had to come back to El Paso. But the point is, is that you being having that, that mind, mindset is good. Because you, you understand that people with disabilities do want to work. We're, we, yes. just, we don't want to uh, be those. What they, some, I've been told, yeah. people tell me I'm a leech off a system, and I'm not. So I'm glad that you, you, you have that mindset. Well, um, you want to contribute just like everybody else. Amen to that. Yes, yes. sir. Amen to that. And, and there's another thing that I wanted to mention regarding that as it applies to this Disability Integration Act, a DIA, is that one of the things that it strives for is for disabled people to be able to select their services mm-hmm. in a community-based type setting as opposed to being in, in an institution. Mm-hmm. Now, that makes perfect sense to me. And economic sense because it's, it's actually cheaper to have someone at home yes. than to have them in an institution. Like my mom, mm-hmm. uh, she had fallen a few, uh, like a year and a half back. And the first thing is put her in a nursing home, mm-hmm. put her here, put her there. Right. But she wants to live at home. Sure. She wants. And, that, and I appreciate that, that there's services out there. But when you have the Trump administration mm-hmm. saying, you know what, we want to pull back money, we want to invest in this, and we want to invest in the wall. Why take it from us? I mean, because we, it's not our choice. Right. And having that, that funnel or that avenue to use Medicaid to help us be more productive. Now, I'm thankful enough where I can you know, pretty much do it for myself. Uh, and I'm, of course, my wife. But I can pretty much do much for myself. At the home, I do, I, you know, try to cut the yard, do some little fixing stuff around the house. So I'm fortunate where I could do that. But 
well, I shouldn't say fortunate. I'm able to do that. Let's say that. But I have friends that mm-hmm. don't. They have to have someone there. They're to be 40 hours a week to help right. them get dressed, to eat, mm-hmm. to go to the restroom. Sure. So when you take away that money, that lifeline, what are they supposed to do? Yes. That's the scary part about it. Well, it's, you know, you're absolutely right. And it's the sort of thing where I have a 99-year-old mother that lives with my wife and I. Right now, I am trying to keep her in our home as long as possible. Mm -hmm. The help that she is getting is a a result of one, Social Security, and partially Medicaid, which is why some of the legislation that I want to support deals specifically with expanding Medicaid. That that is certainly one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it, and, and this applies not only to people with disabilities, but Americans as a whole. We have to make sure that every single American has access to high quality, and I'm going to repeat that, to high quality affordable health care. As a country, we must do this for our citizens. We are the only major country in the world that does not have some kind of of major government-based health care system. And it is unconscionable. Mm-hmm. And it's con- unconscionable. And you look at the, the statistics, as you mentioned, about the employment of people with disabilities, many times because they are unemployed or underemployed, that means that many times they cannot afford health care. Yep. So we as a country have to do better than this. One of the things that I strongly believe in, George, is that we have to bring back the humanity to governing. Somewhere along the line, I, I don't know where it happened, but somewhere we lost that humanity, and we need to bring it back. You know, talking about employment, did you know, um, Mr. Gandhi, what you probably do, that employment among persons with disabilities that averages around 70%, but yet in the general public... Uh, is what, 4.1%, mm. as they say, it, it keeps going down. Mm-hmm. But see, the forgotten, the underserved population, in my opinion, is those persons with disabilities. Now, when I say that, I mean from intellectual disability mm-hmm. to persons that are blind. Sure. You name the whole gamut. But the point is that there's no mechanism in place right now to, there. well, there's. I shouldn't really say there is no mechanism. There's very little mechanism that encourages employers mm-hmm. to hire people with disabilities. Right. And I think by having some type of initiative in Congress where, for example, maybe give more of a tax break. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're, if we're willing to do that for top, with a top golf, I'm sorry, I'm going after your company, Mr. <laughs> table, but top golf, you know. You know, it's Paso, just a bar with, and, a, and, a, and a shooting range. With, uh, the, with the, the driving range there. Yeah, and the hamburgers are 40 bucks. Well, that's what I'm saying. That. I mean, I'm not granted it's, you know, local, not federal. I understand I just that. made that up, okay? I love Top Gun. <laughs> but the concept of uh, of affording a company, a corporation, uh, millions of dollars of tax breaks, mm-hmm. why can't they do that for person? Now, like I said, this is, I know the municipalities here in El Paso, but on the federal level. Incur- Did you know, Mr. Cadillo, there is a law and for the life of me, I can't be able to find it. But there is a law. I know there is. Can um, I find out when I was Department of Labor? It allows, right now, mm-hmm. any agency or organization that does what is called shelter employment, like Ready One, right? Uh-huh. 
to go back and ask for certification to be uh, classified as, as a sheltered employment, and they could te- they could legally hire uh, and pay their so their employees three dollars and twenty five cents. That's ridiculous. Current right now, and the reason why I, I guess they don't do that is because is, is that a law? That's a law. See, that's what I mean. We know there's laws, but we don't even know what the hell they are. That's ridiculous. How did that even pass? And and that's the thing. Look, right now the minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. I have to ask you, can you live on $7.25 an hour? Absolutely not. Which is why I am in favor of raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Let me ask you that, Mr. Governor. I've always had this question, and I never had the opportunity to really ask someone. So I need you to educate me and the listeners, or maybe more me. But when you, I used to be an employer at one time. I had a small business, a cafeteria. And my, the biggest uh, percentage of, of my business was employment-related mm-hmm. costs, like uh, the, the FICA, the... the, the Workman's comp taxes, mm-hmm. all that. The payroll tax. Payroll taxes. Mm-hmm. So for me, if you raise it fifteen dollars, which mm-hmm. I, I appreciate, mm-hmm. but doesn't that have like a consequential effect around it? For example, if you raise the pay to fifteen bucks an hour, then everyone around it has to raise their costs. So isn't it like a, the, the same thing? Here's here's the thing. Let, let's let's go back in time. And let's talk about trickle-down economics, where all of the all of the benefits are going to the rich and the owners of large businesses. That theory said that if you give them the tax breaks, that will allow money to trickle down to the workers in the form of greater benefits and higher wages. Well. We've had at least a couple of administrations that have tried that, Republican administrations, and that did not happen. Okay. Now, in answer to your question, is it going to cause some prices to rise? I think it probably will, but you've been a businessman before. You also know that in order to remain in business, you have to look at how to more efficiently run your business mm-hmm. and that you can cut costs here cut costs there cross training yes and in order in order to keep up with that demand what ultimately i believe happens by doing so is that by raising that to 15 dollars an hour that money is going to be pumped back in directly into economy which means that those monies somehow will work their way back into your business. You know, in, the, funny for, you in said, the form of revenues. You know, we just said about fifteen dollars an hour, Mister Mister Cardillo. I never thought about this until now. And maybe you can have to kind of put some logic into my thought. As you know, for anyone that's on social services like SSI, mm-hmm. there are certain income limits. Mm-hmm. And for me, like me, I have SSDI, so there's my my uh, threshold is a little higher. And if you were to pay me 15 bucks an hour at 40 hours, I won't be able to get my Social Security. So you're going to have a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to work because that. But me, personally, I would. Oh, in a heartbeat, I'll take it to get off Social Security in a heartbeat. But then you're going to have those people that say, you know what, 15 bucks an hour, 40 hours, I want to stay home. 
Mm-hmm. Just live off Social Security. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have that, that kind of d- double effect. Right. So what do you think? I mean, what are you, your opinion? I mean, for me, logically, I would like to get off. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people saying, you know what? I want to stay on. You know, if you're going to pay me 15 bucks an hour, forget it. I'm not going to work. Here's, here's what I believe. I believe that when they set some of these thresholds, that they really, to some extent, don't serve no purpose. I'll give you a perfect example. A few years back, my, my wife, my mother-in-law, was, was dying of cancer. Okay. She ended up applying to receive Medicaid. They would not give her Medicaid mm-hmm. because she was something like 2 or $3 over the threshold. Okay. Doesn't, doesn't make sense. My mom happened to my mom. Yeah. I mean, it's, she it's, paid 35 years into yes. the system. She was over $100, mm-hmm. and she didn't, we had to get a lawyer, by the way, mm-hmm. lawyer, Ms. Stephanie Tanzaniella, mm-hmm. and she helped us out. But isn't that absurd? It, it is. And, and here's the thing. We have in the, in the government, for example, the federal government, people who retire from the military at, at a fairly young age, and then they go to work as a government contractor or sometimes directly with the federal government. They're known as double dippers. Yep. Okay. What would be wrong? What would be wrong if you had a disabled person that was receiving benefits from the government because they have a legitimate disability and yet they have the ambition to say you know what I don't want to stay home I want to go out there be a productive citizen I want to bring in some extra money to help my kids my family live a little bit better pick myself up what is wrong with that? And, you know, some people say that uh, that those social services like SSI and SSDI are entitlements. It's not. A, I started working, believe it or not, when I was fifteen, one mm-hmm. five, and I was I I worked for the last what thirty years? Well, yeah, thirty years more or less, twenty five years. I put my money into social security, I, so the money I'm getting now is what I paid into the system. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, is it fair that I want to go work and they want to take it away from me? Right. You know, and that doesn't really make logical sense, like you said. Most of the people, most of the people that I have run into who are disabled want to be productive citizens. They don't want to stay home. They don't want help from the government. They would rather be out there working. Yep. I and, that, and, that's, and that's the reality. And then when yeah. I was working for the government, uh, uh, they said, you might lose your social That's fine. I have no problem losing it. And then, day, like you say, Mr. Cadillo, and then I appreciate you want to look at the person's abilities, sure. not their disabilities, and understand that we want to be productive members in society, like anyone else. Sure. Doesn't matter, like I tell uh, business owners, you want people to come to your business that have a disability. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask you a question. I'll ask you, Mr. Mr. Cadillo, no matter if you're black, brown, short, tall, fat, skinny, with or without a disability, is our money the same color as everyone else? Is it green? <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. So yes. we want to be those economic, economical drivers as the same society. So, but I do appreciate that you've done some research on the DEA sure. or DIA. I was thinking about the CIA. I'm sorry. I'm about that gentleman before. <laughs> that was the other guy from earlier. I was, I was afraid he was taking pictures or something. I know. That was, that's why when I was I got scared early. His um, bow tie or something. Uh, but you're, that you took the initiative to do that. Uh, some sure. some 
research on the DIA because uh, that's very important legislation that hopefully will pass. Yes, it absolutely. has some. I think Schumer was the first to sponsor it. Yes, and then Senator Brenner in yeah. the House. Yeah. Yes. So we'll talk about another bill that I think is kind of a counteractive to the ADA mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more. How much time do we have, Mr. Abel? Uh, you, you got five minutes to the bottom of the hour, okay. and then we'll break there. Great. We'll, we'll break, and then we'll talk, come back and talk about the HR 20. But let's talk a little bit more about your um, platform. Now that we have five, a little bit like five minutes. I've heard um, Finbox this morning. Mm-hmm. I heard the other gentleman. I didn't catch his name. What's your, your take on immigration? Immigration. We really have to look at immigration. I, I believe in an open border. Okay. We take, for example, DACA. Okay. We have to find a pathway for the dreamers. And you can look at it from two different angles. One, of course, is the humanitarian aspect of it. Should we be breaking up families? Absolutely not. That is not the American way. We cannot, as a country, punish the dreamers for the actions of their parents. The dreamers came over here not of their own free will. They came here because their parents brought them, because their parents wanted a better life for themselves, a better life for their kids, a better education. They were in search of the American dream, just just like we are. So we cannot punish them for the actions of their parents. But let's look at it from another angle. Let's look at it from the angle of economics. There was a recent report that was put out by the Perryman Group, which does analytics here in the state of Texas. This report indicated that dreamers produce $494 billion a year in output. Repeat what? That? Can you repeat yes. that? Again? Holy cow. Yeah. And how much? $494 billion. Wow. And they take in $117 billion in income. Guess where that income is going? It's going out into our economy. Mm-hmm. The dreamers are already a part of this country. Let's fully integrate them. Make them a part of this society permanently. Now, that being said, I am not saying that we should not have a secure border, but we have to look at the priorities of that border. And it is not trying to stop people from crossing over. You know where we need to place our priorities? It deals with drugs crossing over and the cartels. You talk to ICE agents, you talk to Border Patrol agents, and they'll tell you the exact same thing. Now, I'm confused, Mr. Gadio. Um, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of being facetious here, but the border wall, our, I thought Mexico was paying for that. <laughs> I just, uh, just an opinion. I don't know. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> I know, but anyway. You know what the peso is right now? It's like 18 to 1. Huh? Like, gonna, even if you get them, you're going to need to bring them in by a boat. But, you know, I, I had a time when I, I had a, a short, short time when I worked at the detention center there in Montana. Yes. Um, at that time, they had, like, I think, a thousand detainees, and um, they had them by colors, you mm-hmm. know. And the blues were the ones that were going to be sent back. This one I could see. When they were going to go back to um, 
their their origin, the country of origin. Mm-hmm. And I remember the one man, I'll never forget this, because everybody's talking about, oh, send him back to Mexico, go back to Mexico. There's one gentleman, he was a white man. He was from England. Uh-huh. He had an accent, of course. Right. He walks in, and I was there in the processing center. I wasn't, I didn't work for ICE, but it was the job I did. Right. Um, he was crying. She's like, what am I going to do? I don't know no one back in England. I was brought to the U.S. when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And he had graduated from school. I mean, the whole works. He had a family. He's like, what am I going to, I don't know nobody yeah. there. So I started thinking, and this is back 10 years ago. Uh-huh. So I'm like, wow. And, and just think about that. We're sending these individuals back. Like you said, they came when they were kids. They yeah. had no choice. Yeah. Never knew another country. No. Mm-hmm. So they come here. They thought they're from here until they find out later they're not. And until they're in their 30s or 40s, and guess what? You're going back to your origin, uh, country of origin. What's, what's happened? You have to go back to Iraq. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to go on a break. You've been listening to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network. And we'll go and catch you on the other side of this break. I'm Jessica Clute, attorney at law. The law firm of Stephanie Townsend Ayala and Associates specializes in estate planning, probate, trusts, wills, powers of attorney, nursing home advocacy, Medicaid planning, and guardianships. I'm Stephanie Townsend Ayala. Our attorneys, including Jennifer Coulter, my daughter Jessica, and I, are University of Texas Law School graduates. Jessica and I are also proud second and third generation University of Texas grads. Call the law firm of Stephanie Townsend Ayala at 533-0007. And you're listening to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network, which is brought to you by Stephanie Townsend Ayala. What is that song? I like that. I'm going to start dancing here. Sorry, Mr. Right. Padilla. Wait, wait, watch it. It gets into it. It's like Colombian. Listen to this part. Right? We like this yeah. kind of thing. Reminds you of KXER. KXER. There we go. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I like that music. I'm, you chew me off by that. <laughs> I get distracted very easily. It's called but, bumper music. Is that what it's called? Okay, I like that music. Well, anyways, we're back here with the Mr. John Cadillo. He's running for District Congressional District 16. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Before we go further, Mr. Cadillo, uh, just give me a minute. I want to talk about Access 2018 before. I don't want to lose time on that. Okay. 2018 Super Thursday, we're having in coalition with um, the El Paso Community College Student Associ- Government mm-hmm. Association. And when I say we, the United Advocacy of El Paso group that me and my wife have. And there's uh, seven candidates have uh, confirmed, five Democrats, two Republicans. It will be on February the 15th from 6 to 8 p.m. 9050 Viscount, the EPCC Administration Building A Auditorium. What's, what's your, we kind of touched on a, a little bit right now earlier about the $15 an hour. What's your, um, your platform on jobs? Here's where we need to be on that. Obviously, we know that our economy has not recovered from the recent recession. And we've had various presidents. I think Obama made, took the right steps into recovering. I think more, that more needs to be done without a doubt. So what do we need to do? We need to create jobs by investing in our infrastructure. This is very much what FDR did 
during the depression with the work work the the work progress administration i have works progress agency or administration yes, and that's exactly what he did. He ended up pulling, putting millions and millions of people back into work by developing or investing in the infrastructure. And that is something that we as a country have to do. In addition to that, we should be investing in renewable energy sources. Why? Because that's where the new high-tech jobs are. Here's the thing. Trump believes that the jobs are in coal mining. They are not. If you take a look at the statistics, the entire number of jobs that were created by him taking some of the regula regulations off coal mining, it only amounts to under 200,000 jobs, more like between 150 and 180 jobs. Now, and that's not just coal miners. That's Everybody, secretaries and all kinds of things associated with it. But you take a look at the jobs that are being created through wind energy, solar energy, those sorts of jobs, these renewable energy sources, we're looking at about 600,000 jobs. So that's where the new jobs, that's that new growth area that we should be looking at. And it kind of correlates to the environment. Yes, absolutely. You know? most, most definitely. And along with that, because we have these jobs, we have to improve the quality of jobs. How do we improve the quality of jobs? We improve the quality of jobs by raising that minimum wage to $15 an hour. I, I, find, it, I find it horrifying that we have Americans living in the United States, who are working full-time and are living in poverty. Yep, I'm into that. It, it, it does not make sense to me. I saw an interesting statistic not too long ago. It indicated that approximately, if I remember correctly, over 80% of men and about 66% of women are working more than 40 hours a week to make ends meet and sometimes without overtime pay or benefits. Or there are some people that have two or three jobs just to make like you're right. Yeah. I know my, my aunt at one point, she had like two jobs. My, her husband had like one full-time and two part-time mm -hmm. just to keep, you know, the quality of life. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, Miss uh, Lily Limon once said, not, she wants uh, a living wage. Mm -hmm. Not the minimum wage, but a living wage. Yes. Which is what? 15 bucks an hour. 15 bucks that, an that'd hour. That'd be awesome. Now, I'm going to kind of segue a little bit into something. If we have money, like you said, mm -hmm. we'll spend it. Yes. It, it's a circle, circle down effect. So if I have an extra 15 bucks, I'm going to take my wife to go eat. Yes. And the way I am, probably chicos tacos. But the point is... Uh, hey, <clears> nothing right? wrong with that. <laughs> but the point is, when I go to a place of business, I might have some barriers or someone... A, friend, a bunch of our friends use the wheelchairs mm -hmm. and they have the greatest percentage of barriers within the private sector. And there's this bill that's being, now this one has been introduced. Mm -hmm. It's gone beyond committees and it's called the HR 620. 
Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with that? Is it the same thing as the ADA Education and Reform Act? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, I, I am. I, again, I'm not an expert on it, mm-hmm. but I am somewhat familiar with it. Now, I, I have to tell you that I have a, a problem with it. Okay. okay. And, and my problem is this, is it, and, and again, I, I defer to you because you are an expert, but it seems to me that they are putting the responsibility or the onus on the disabled person who yes. is making a complaint about any given uh, facility, right? They're saying, okay, you're the one that has to bring the file the complaint. You have to be specific as to what that complaint is, right? And and then you're the one that has to prove it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. It's hard enough for a disabled person to go out into public in many cases, and now you're going to make them be the ones responsible for indicating that these people are out of compliance. That doesn't make sense to me. And and the law, as it sits now, it, it, it is... It is efficient. Now, what this bill does, like you said, and that's the biggest uh, thing that we have, when I say thing we, people with disabilities, is that you're putting the, the, the work on us mm-hmm. when it should be vice versa. Mm-hmm. Number two, it prohibits a civil lawsuit against a private owner, or I should say private, or private sector owner, mm-hmm. until they fix it. But you're giving them more time. So there's a lot of things about this HR twenty six twenty, and uh, by just by coincidence, yeah. it was introduced by a, a Republican. Uh, I'm so not I'm not surprised. Sure. I'm not with that with uh, here or there. But what would you do if you're in Congress and you saw that? What would your your personal? I would have to shoot it down. <laughs> Amen to that. Yes. Amen. Hey, I'm, hey, gonna, hey, I'm hey, giving hey. him five. Give me, I'm gonna give him five. There you go. See, I'm gonna give him five. Yeah. Um, it, it, it makes no sense because okay. Let's say that happens. There, that, that particular bill is basically saying, okay, now you have to go back and make sure to see whether or not they ended up taking action on your complaint. It, I, I, I think the biggest the reason why the, the, the formation or the development of this bill or introduction is because of frivolous lawsuits. Now, mm-hmm. yes, I'm not going to lie to you, there are, especially I think there was a gentleman in Austin that was him and, 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 and a person with a disability, a lawyer, were going from business to business, just suing everyone and mm-hmm. everything to just to get rich. Mm-hmm. So I kind of see that, but at the same time, that's very minimal. And there's already laws in place that, that kind of deal with that. So when you put this HR 620 on top of that, saying, mm-hmm. okay, now guess what? Now you have to prove Right. The deficiency, not the business owner. Now you have to write the letter and follow up. <clears throat> now I'm like, now you're confusing me. The ADA already does that. Mm-hmm. So why would we want to do that? So, right. <clears throat> but yet, there's a disconnect from the politician to the public. That, what did you say earlier? Humanity? We it, need to bring humanity back to governing. That's it. And you prove that point. You prove that point by saying that because when you bring, introduce such a vicious bill and it's being introduced... And I think the next two steps is either passed by the Senate and then the House, mm-hmm. and then we're done. But to me, the bill, the ADA has been in 1990, 28 years. Mm-hmm. 28 years, and we're still dealing with it. Yeah. And you know what's funny? Mr. Cariano, if you notice, they labeled it as civil rights bill. Did you notice that? 
<laughs> and the very top letter of your yeah, of right. the bill, if you read it, it says civil yeah. rights. I'm like, for who the, the, the owner? <laughs> for the owner? <laughs> yeah. Um, but a lot of times, what happens when it comes to 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 um, accessibility, it boils down to money, mm-hmm. the financial aspect of it, and that goes down from even from here in El Paso to the federal government. Like for example, when um, Trump wanted to take away those 880 billion dollars mm-hmm. to focus on more other infrastructure you want to say mm-hmm. but at the same time you have to care for your constituents you have mm-hmm. to have that you know that balance that checks and balance so let me ask you this let's say hopefully you get into your your elected to congress and you see a bill that you know can affect persons with disabilities would you reach out to that constituent or would you vote on it on yourself just your own basic experience or would you reach out to us Here's the thing. Throughout this campaign, I have been pushing myself as not being a politician. I believe and I am a leader. If you take a look at the title of this elected office, it says United States Representative. Okay. It doesn't mean that John Carrillo is there to push his own agenda. What it means is that I represent you. I represent the community. So to me, that implies that I have a duty to go out and meet with various groups, such as United Advocacy, such as the Central Business Association, and numerous organizations that are here in our area. And it's true. And, and you yeah. have to do that because you, you cannot work in a vacuum. You have to reach out. You have to go to the people that are living it. You have to go to the experts, the people that are working out in the field. You have to educate yourself. And by doing so, you will be able to work and address their concerns. That is why I want to go to Congress. You take a look at some of the other people that are running. They've got their own agenda. They have got, they're being backed by big money. You're going to owe a lot of favors for that big money. Yes. I am going there as a candidate of change. I am going there because I want to represent the people of this city. Now, I mentioned big money. I just have to throw this in. Everyone, everyone is in control of their own vote. Do not allow yourself to be swayed by the number of signs that you may see, by the commercials you may see, all the rhetoric that you may be hearing. You remain in charge. You have the authority of your own vote. Use and people it say wisely. You know, people say that we don't have power. We do with that vote. If you think about this, Mr. Cario, last the last election we had here in El Paso, mind you, mostly municipal, but he had eight percent. Let's stretch it. Let's just stretch it a little bit. Nine percent. That means ninety-one percent of the voters did not go out to vote for whatever reason. I want you, the time you have here, to tell voters why they should come out to vote. Why take the time to get in their vehicles or walk or fly or (laughs) go by pigeon? 
to go vote for you? I'm going to tell you. Much has changed on this political landscape since Trump became president. We, we have seen a rise in racism. We've seen a rise in the number of white supremacist groups. We've seen an assault on the environmental controls that were put in place by Obama. We've seen a blatant disregard for ethical behavior. Make no mistake, George, these are perilous times. Without leaders, chaos is going to reign. Mm -hmm. Now, we've seen it. We're seeing it now in the White House. We've seen it here in El Paso. Take a look at what has happened in some of our school districts, what has happened in our city and county governments. Trump. Don't get me, don't get me started there. <laughs> Trust me. Don't. That was a city, but... Trump once asked, while he was on the campaign trail, he asked, what have you got to lose? We have a lot to lose. Right now, the choices that you as an individual and our listeners make when they go to vote are going to echo far into the future. The ripple effects. There are decisions that are being made right now in Washington, D.C. that are going to have a direct effect on our community. Mm. For example, you mentioned the wall. Trump wants to build a wall. We have a border that is 1,954 miles long. Two-thirds of that or 1,254 miles, is in the state of Texas. Guess who has the most to lose if we build a wall which is going to be detrimental to trade between the U.S. and Mexico? Mm -hmm. Absolutely crazy. $20 billion, is it? How much was it? You well, for? I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah, about 19... 19 is it billion or trillion? I don't even remember now. But, <laughs> but, but, but it's crazy that we're spending money on something that people do not want. Yes, Trump, of course, is the Republicans in general have been trying to get away uh, or rather do away with Obamacare. Doing away with Obamacare could put as many as 26 million Americans in jeopardy of not having access to health care. Let's talk a little bit about, about the border because we're right here. We're right here on, on the border. There are many, many economic reasons, aside from the humanitarian reasons, which we've already spoken about. But let's talk about the economic reasons as to why we do not need a border. Okay. Right now, trade between the U.S. and Mexico surpasses one billion dollars every single day. 16 million jobs, U.S. jobs, are dependent on bilateral trade between the U.S. and Mexico. The top U.S. exports to Mexico are machinery, mineral fuel and oil, vehicles, and plastics. That adds $128 billion to the U.S. economy 
every single year. 13 million Mexicans travel to the U.S. annually. They leave behind $8.7 billion. Texas, 40% of our exports go directly into Mexico. They are our number one trade partner. And that is actually the same case for 23 states in the U.S., with 36 states indicating that Mexico is in their top five. It, was, it would be crazy for us to get into any kind of a trade war with Mexico. We must not do anything that is going to jeopardize trade between the U.S. and Mexico. It is vital, absolutely vital, to the continued growth and health of our economy. And what you're saying is, that's what people don't realize, Mr. Castillo, is that um, you have this border wall. Mm -hmm. We want to build this border wall. But they don't understand that that one of the consequential consequential effects is what you just said, a trade. Mm -hmm. Because what's going to happen? We're going to build this wall. Let's say it's $20 billion. Then the administration is going to come around and tell Mexico, guess what? You owe us money. If not... (laughs) We're going to bring up those, those tariffs. Mm-hmm. If not, we're going to bring in those crossing fees. And so what's going to happen? Mexico can say, you know what? We're not going to deal with you anymore. Yeah. So that, yeah. people don't realize that there, there is some effect to this. Absolutely. And not only that, the psychological effect. Because now you're going to have this animosity between us and mm-hmm. Mexico because of the wall. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they can turn around and slap the same kind of tariffs. Right now here in Texas. Okay, just right here in Texas. Bilateral trade between Texas and Mexico. Texas exports $92 billion worth of goods and services into Mexico. It's a B. Billion. B. Okay. okay. In return, we import into Texas $84 billion worth of goods and services from Mexico to Texas. So... Maybe I'm looking at it wrong, but we're ahead of the game right now. <laughs> yes, sir. Right? So it, it's, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, you talk, you talk to people and say you absolutely need a wall. You need to keep people. No, 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 no. We, we need to look at this from two different angles. We need to look at it from the economic standpoint, and we most certainly have to look at, at it from the humanitarian standpoint. How much time do you have, Mr. Abel? Mr. Abel stepped okay. out. I want to make we'll, sure we'll that... We'll just keep on talking Yeah, we're here. talking. I want to... The reason why I ask how much time, I want to make sure that we give out your information how to contact you. If someone wants to partic- uh, volunteer for your campaign or... Yes. How, how do they, how can they do that? Call you where? They, they may go to my website and there's information there on contacting me. It's www.carrillo4congress.com. I will actually give you my phone number. It's 59408. Seven eight. Now, do you um do you do that? And I'm t- on Facebook also. Yeah, yeah, you're on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. You have a Facebook page for your Congress. Got Gar- Rio for Congress. Okay. Yes. Um, do you do that the walk the the black walks? I I have been doing it single handedly. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, you know, quite frankly, I have been at a disadvantage in terms of of fundraising because some of the stipulations that were placed on me because I work at the university. One of those stipulations basically said that I am not allowed 
to solicit anybody that does business with the university or with KTEP. Ouch. That is a lot of people. That's but a lot of people. I'm not complaining about it. I knew what I was getting into. And in spite of that, everybody that I have talked to, everybody that I have come in contact with has been extremely, extremely responsive to my views. So that I am actually very, very confident that I'm going to do well in this election because it goes back to the whole thing. It's not about money. It's about your vote. Exactly. Now, I don't know if I asked you this before, but and I apologize if I did. If I did, I want people, the listeners to have a kind of a refresh and they really start tuning in. Why, what, what made you, what was that little, is there like an aha moment to, for you to run for Congress? Wow. There's a couple of reasons, actually. I remember my, my wife and I, Peggy, sitting at home watching the elections return when, during the presidential election. And I remember we got up the next morning and were surprised that Trump had won. Yeah. We, we ended up taking his election very, very personally because of everything that had transpired, his, his literal, literal harassment of women, his disrespect for women, uh, making fun of, of disabled people. The reporter? Yes, the sir. reporter. And all of this rhetoric about talking badly about minorities and all of these things, and it was, it was just a bit much for me. But then something else happened. And that was when I saw the quality of two of the people that were running for Congress, who are what are considered the front runners. And it was at that point, I remember distinctly getting up that morning, and my wife and I are sitting at the kitchen table, and we're having a bagel and, and coffee. And I look over at her, and I tell her, I'm going to run for Congress. Hmm. And there was a moment of silence. <laughs> and she looks over at me. She says, you're going to what? I said, I'm going to run for Congress. Yes. And she was the first one to jump on board. She says, good for you. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I it, 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 and I'm, in some ways I'm serious about this. Someday, because you know how you, you probably have this in your head, Mr. Cadillo, that if I don't do it, I don't want to be later on in life. Mm-hmm. Should I have done it? Could I have done it? Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I say it because I just had the same conversation with my wife, not about Congress, of course not, but running for city council mm-hmm. in the future. It's because you see things, you have it in your heart to do to make that change, and sometimes it takes a non-political person to mm-hmm. do it. That we don't have that background. We don't have um, a big supporters, or we don't have that experience when it comes to being a politician. But you know what? We have experience of being the what? El Pasoan. Absolutely. And, and, and you should consider it. I would encourage you to do so. I'm, I'm, I'm seriously considering. Please, people think I'm joking. Do. But the thing is, when you, like, and I, think, I know where you're coming from. You want to make that change. Mm-hmm. You want to see, and it's not really for me against the current city councilman person. No. But I see my abilities, like your abilities, mm-hmm. your talent, which I've seen out here. Thank you. And I hope the, the, vote, the voters, the listeners, understand that this is why we had you on 
to have you provide your feedback, your perception, perspective, so Thank they can you. make that educated vote. And hopefully, like you said, February the 5th is the, what, the deadline, I believe, for the early elections? Well, the to register to vote is coming up on the 5th, and then early early voting starts February 20th. Okay. And then March 6th is the is the big day. It's a big day. Yeah, for the primaries, yes. And that's a Tuesday? That's a Tuesday, yes. Oh, are you going to work that day or are you going to be home? Uh, no, I'll, I have to work. I yeah. got to keep the money coming in. No, I hear you, I hear you. <laughs> but my wife and I, I guarantee you, we will be be out there in line waiting to vote, yes. So I know we only have a few minutes left, Mr. Cadillo, and the, your, your parting thoughts, your, your go-away to every kind of things of you the rest of the day. Tell us in your thought, in your in your voice, Gadio for pre- for for president. For hey, Congress. thank you. Hey, Gadio for for Congress. Wow, that, I, I, I would, that would really be something. That would be it? me. But and I know you said a little bit right now, but in your uh, uh, elevator speech, my my elevator speech. Yes. Here's what I would ask everybody to do: take a look, take a look around you and see what the other candidates have to offer. Because quite frankly, none of them really even have a platform. My platform has been out there from day one. For there, for people to look at, for people to criticize, and for people to jump on board. Now give me that website one more time, sir. www.carrilloforcongress.com okay, and, and I would say, Look at what each candidate has to offer. Also very important, take a look carefully on their past record. Mm-hmm. Have they had a record of achievement? Have they had a record of being deceptive with the public? Because all of these things matter. And based on that, not because somebody's your friend, not because you know them from something or because somebody did a favor for you. Based on those facts, vote what is right. Amen to that. Yes, because sir. that vote, this next election, as I mentioned, is going to echo far into the future. And I think, Make uh, the right choice. I think Trump is kind of influencing a lot of people on that Absolutely. Uh, perspective. Uh, hashtag voter resolution. I know Mr. Uh, Abel... Uh, Abel, yes. Is there there's a link on your on the website to vote or to register, isn't there? I think there is. Yeah. I, I did put the information that you know was out that you had till February the mm-hmm. February the fifth, which is Monday, to register and uh, get your bullet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get your bullet. So, Mr. Cadillo, um, and then I do want to again, I do appreciate you taking you. time for that to be on this show, the the accessibility corner, and also you're the first to jump onto when I. And as a matter of fact, you're the first person I called, the very first person to oh, access you. 2018. You jumped on. Uh, you actually helped in the background. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, yeah, you I was glad to do that. And I do appreciate that, Mr. Cario. You actually- and mentioned the uh, the, uh, the the Super Thursday that we came up with. Yeah, we'll go ahead and mention it Me- again. Mention it again. Uh, Thursday, or uh, yeah, Thursday, February the 15th, Super Thursday. Thanks to Mr. Oh, by the way, Abel is going to be the moderator. So I oh, wanna, you're not supposed to tell. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, I want to see shock and awe. <laughs> shock and I'm gonna shock be in the back of the room with my spitballs and my little. <laughs> spin them. All right. Um, Thank you so much for today, George. I've really welcome, enjoyed sir. it. It's six to eight. Um, they're at the EPCC Administration Building A uh, Auditorium. As, as you notice, I'm saying it slower. 
9050 byte count. Hopefully it won't come down. I will start putting these podcasts, uh, once I get them back from Abel, on my website, which is www.theaccessibilitycorner.com. And I also distribute this, of course, through Facebook, Mr. Cario. Thank I you. I have a big, uh, I have an email list. So don't worry, Thank you'll, you'll you. get a lot of exposure. Excellent. Unlike I appreciate the it. local media. But anyway, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you've been listening to, of course, John Cario here on Dialogue Radio Network. Thank you. And see everyone next week.